So if you could turn to Psalm 147, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He heals the brokenhearted. He determines the number of the stars. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. The Lord sustains the humble. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. He covers the sky with clouds. He provides food for the cattle. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse. The Lord delights in those who fear him. Extol the Lord, O Jerusalem. For he strengthens the bars of your gates. He grants peace to your borders. He sends his command to the earth. He spreads the snow like wool. He hurls down hail like pebbles. He sends his word and melts them. He has revealed his word to Jacob. He has done this for no other nation. Praise the Lord. Well, on Sunday evenings at the moment, we're looking at different uh, types of psalm. We've looked at uh, psalms of confession, uh, psalms of trust. And this evening, we're looking at psalms of praise, and in particular, Psalm 147. If I were to ask you, what does it mean to praise God? I wonder what different answers I would get. Probably quite a variety, I guess. What I'd like to define it as this evening is an expression of, God, of delight in God and his works. And there are different ways to express that to delight in God. Musical worship and singing is one that uh, we often think of. But as we'll see later, what God is most interested in is our attitude towards him. This psalm is not so much a, a psalm of praise. It's a psalm in which the, the psalmist calls the people to praise God and gives them reasons why they should be doing that. Which raises the question that many people say is, well, why does God need our praise and worship? You know, is there something lacking in him that means he requires our, our worship? But all the evidence in the Bible points to him being perfectly fulfilled, perfectly complete in himself, in his love for his son, and in his son's love for his father. Think of the way in which God described his son at the transfiguration. We're told a voice came from heaven saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. He is a, a triune God, one God in three persons, Father, Son and Spirit have all existed um, 
for eternity, who have always related to each other. So he is perfect and complete. But if that is the the case, um, if he doesn't need us to complete his pleasure, and yet he still chose to create us for his pleasure, then we must be pretty special to him, mustn't we? Over a page on Psalm 149, it says there that the Lord takes delight in his people, in verse 4. He takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. Or if you were to go to Ephesians 1, uh, verse 5, in the New Testament, uh, it says there, in, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To be generous to us when he doesn't need to be, surely that is the greatest approval that we can ever hope for. We don't need to worry about feeling insignificant because God has shown us that we are of immense value to him. We are his children and we can bring him pleasure in a way that nothing else he has created can do. So remember the next time you feel undervalued, Um, when you feel that nobody really loves you or is interested in you, then just remember that God is interested in you. He does love you. I'm going to split this sermon this evening into two parts. Um, The first part is our delight in God. And the second part is God's delight in us. Because if we want to praise him, we want to cause him to delight in us. So how do we do that? Well, we'll look at that later on. And the reason I'm, I'm splitting into these two halves is because that is the, the structure of the psalm, if we look at it here. Um, the technical term for this sort of structure is, is a chiasm, which I'm sure Philip will be able to tell you a lot about, um, which basically means an idea is stated and repeated. So if you look at the, the praise the Lord on the outside of the psalm, um, as you come in, um, verses 2 and 3 talk about God's relationship with his people. Um, And that's repeated again in verse 19 and 20. It focuses on the relationship of God with his people. As you come in again, it talks about God's creative power, his sustaining power. And it all leads right to the middle, those middle two verses, which I think are key in this psalm, verses 10 and 11, which say, His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. It's all about God's pleasure, what he delights in. But we're going to come on to that later on there in part two. But let's start with the reasons the psalmist gives that we should praise God. Because he starts the psalm by saying how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. It is pleasant and fitting to praise God. And he gives us reasons why he thinks that is the case and why we should praise God. And the first of those is because of God's care for his people. Have a look at verses 2 and 3 here. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the exiles of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. And he binds up their wounds. The Lord, the, the personal name for God, Yahweh, the one who remains faithful to his people even when they are unfaithful to him. The one who promised that even before they were taken into exile because of their, their disobedience, that he would bring them back to him. What is it that caused them to be broken hearted? 
to be wounded? Well, they've seen how their, their sin has caused their relationship with God to be broken. How God has withheld his blessing, as he warned he would do, if they continue to be disobedient. And yet, he brings them back. They're mourning their sin. They're repenting. And God welcomes and gathers them back. Jesus, of course, was the one who came to heal. He came to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, those who mourn their sin, their need for him, for they will be comforted. They will have their hearts restored. He came to provide healing, and not just physical, but spiritual. He came to mend the broken relationship with God. But as we go to the end of the psalm, also there we, we see something of that special relationship that God has with his people. Have a look at 19 and 20. He has revealed his word to Jacob, his laws and decrees to Israel. He has done this for no other nation. They do not know his laws. What is the special relationship that he has with his people? What is the special about it? Well, he has revealed himself to them in a very clear way. They know his laws. They know his ways. As do we, as we are chosen in Christ. And sometimes I wonder whether we really appreciate what it means for God to reveal himself to us. If God is perfect and chooses to reveal something of his perfection to us, it's because, again, he cares so much for us. His purpose for us is that one day we will see the full glory of God. We will enjoy the pleasures of God with the same pleasure as God. Our problem at the moment is, as human beings, we are limited in what we can see of God's glory. We catch glimpses of it, and they are good. But there is so much more to see. As we saw from that video, we know just a fraction of the universe. There's so much more of the glory of God to be seen. Last year, uh, we went as a family to watch the uh, film Rio in uh, 3D at the cinema. And uh, we're given the, the glasses that you get when you go and watch uh, 3D uh, films and got into the, uh, the screen where it was being shown. And uh, uh, we all sat on the front row. And uh, as the film got going, we started looking at each other. I was looking at Liz at the end of the, the group. And uh, we were thinking, something's not quite right here, is it? We can't see much on the screen. It's all a bit blurred and hazy. And um, much to the embarrassment of my family, I sort of uh, uh, asked a few people around us. Well, actually shouted out to those around us. Anybody else having problems with their glasses? And uh, people think, looked at me in a blank way, what's this idiot going on about? Um, so I thought, oh, well, I'll go out to reception and find out what's going on here. And explained what was going on. I said, oh, that's because you've got the wrong glasses. And um, didn't realise there were more than one type of 3D glasses. There you go. But um, so gave me the right glasses, uh, which made me feel better, made me realise I wasn't mad, uh, losing it. And went back and handed them out to, to our family and we saw the film in 3D in all its amazing glory and brilliance. At the moment, we only see God in, very much in, in 2D, in, in blurred glasses. We don't see clearly. But one day, we will see his glory as he reveals himself fully. But what he has revealed of himself today is already amazing. It's something that we should praise him for, that he's revealed himself through Jesus Christ. It's only the people of God, what that points to, who can truly praise God, who've seen him, who've caught that glimpse of him. 
Why else is it fitting to praise God? We praise God because he cares for us. We praise him for his creative and sustaining power. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Well, even without knowing how much we know today, the people, I think, are, um, at the time the scriptures were written, the time of the psalmist, would have been able to look up at the night sky and be amazed by what they saw. Today, it's estimated that there are, I think, 100 billion stars in our galaxy, billions of other galaxies. Each one has been put there by God. And to say that he knows each one of those stars by name is to indicate that they weren't just put there in some random way, but by his careful and precise planning. What we know of the universe is a lot more than what the psalmist knew scientifically, but compared to what there is to know, it is minuscule. And yet for God, his understanding has no limit. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. We should be amazed, we should delight in it, not just because it is simply incredible that anyone can create this, but also because God delights in it. Remember, when he made the world, he he stopped and looked at it and he said, it was good. When he finished creating the world, he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, because he wanted to enjoy what he had created. God takes pleasure in all that he has made. And he doesn't just make it and leave it to to carry on in its way, he sustains the universe. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. Talking particularly about our planet in which we live. He covers the sky with clouds. He supplies the earth with rain. And he makes grass grow on the hills. I'm sure God is having a good laugh about our hosepipe ban. You haven't got enough water? I'll give you some water. He's certainly making the grass grow at the moment. It'd be good to get out and... uh, find some time to mow it. But verses 15 to 18 show just how much control God has over the weather. Look down at verses 15 to 18, how he controls the snow, the frost, the hail, the rain. The snow may stay for weeks, it may disappear in a day at God's command. And to sustain the world also means that God needs to ensure that his creatures, his people, animals, birds and people get the food that they need. And so, verse 9, a great um, harvest psalm in many ways, is he provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. Verse 14, for us, he satisfies you with the finest of wheat. Let's not forget where our food comes from. Let's not forget to thank him before we sit down at the meal table and tuck in. Well, to sustain the world also means that he needs to ensure that... um, uh, that it's peaceful, that it is stable. I still remember the date, debates at school uh, about the, uh, the nuclear deterrent. Um, should we be spending so much money on the, the arms race? And it still carries on today, doesn't it? In those days, it was more the, the Cold War between the West and the, the East and the, the Soviet Union. Um, there was this fear that if we didn't have this nuclear deterrent, somehow we would blow ourselves up. The world would cease to exist. It is God that provides peace and stability. Look at verse 13 there. He he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your people within you. 
He grants peace to your borders. God can, can change the attitude of armies and people, of individuals. I don't know whether you were watching the uh, series called Homeland. Um, I got quite gripped by it, uh, quite excited. Last week, I'm afraid, it was the final episode. And there was this great moment of tension when this uh, American uh, soldier, you know, was he a goodie or a baddie? He was about to uh, explode this uh, suicide bomb. Um, he thought it was in the interest of his own country, what he was doing. Um, and his daughter phones him up. And um, he's on the phone to his daughter. He's about literally to detonate this bomb and blow up all these key, um, uh, the president and his uh, other um, serious politicians there. And uh, his daughter's on the phone to him. She doesn't know exactly what he's going to do, but she senses that something is wrong. And she makes him promise, come home. I need you, Dad. It's that sort of phone call. And he's there and he's gripped with this tension. Um, is he going to explode it? Is he going to go home? And he goes home. He cancels his plan. And nobody knows what he was going to do, paving the way for another series. Um, but we don't know those moments when God sustains this world. Um, whether there are people in that same situation who are about to, to blow things up, and yet God holds and sustains and res- restrains them from doing what they might do. We should praise God for world peace. We shouldn't take anything for granted. We need to pray for those areas of the world where there is war and conflict and pray that God would bring peace. Well, it is pleasant and fitting to praise God because of his care for his people, for his creative, his sustaining power, for his provision. Well, so far we've looked at um, why it is pleasant and fitting to praise God, where well, we've done that uh, in our singing, which is in line with what the psalmist says here, isn't it? How good it is to sing praises to our God. Sing to the Lord, he says in verse 7, with thanksgiving. Make music to our God on the harp. Maybe Elizabeth will be here next time to do that. So, but God is not just interested in our sung worship. He's more interested in the attitude of our lives towards him. And so, as I said earlier on, right in the middle of this psalm is a sort of peak to which everything is climbing, in verses 10 and 11. His pleasure is not in the strength of a horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Which brings us on to our next point, that we make God delight in us when we fear him and hope in him. Now, if we're honest, this is quite a strange thing, isn't it? The fact that God delights both in those who fear him and those who put their hope in him. How can you fear someone also put your hope in them? Normally, um, if you fear someone, you hope that somebody else is going to come and, and rescue you from them. And it might help if we try and understand this sense of fear. It's a, a sense of awe and respect. Uh, primarily, it is power. And so to put your hope in his love at the same time is to know his power and yet realise that that power is not directed against you, that you are safe in his loving arms. Think think of the film King Kong, um, if that helps. Um, This huge, great gorilla with amazing power who can cause incredible destruction, who has this uh, woman in his hand. But he's not going to harm her. She's safe in his hands. Or maybe another illustration, we once stayed in a a small town on the infamous uh, Death Road in Bolivia. If any of you have seen the 
Top Gear, you'll know the one. Um, a winding road, I think it um, climbs about 4,000 metres in the space of 50 kilometres. Um, we had a balcony overlooking the, the valley uh, in, uh, in the, the place we were staying. And we could see slowly coming up the valley this, this, this storm. And um, it got closer and closer until we thought, I think it's time to go in now. And uh, as we did, the rain started And there was this almighty storm right across the valley with lightning and everything, thunder, um, you name it. Now, from where we were in the safety of our room, it was wonderful to look out at. Just the the sheer display of power going on. Had we been out there, maybe driving along the road, we would have been absolutely um, frightened stiff. But to look out in the safety of a room... It's a very different feeling. That is like what it is with God. We can see his power, but we know that we are safe in his, in his arms. The Bible says it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, but not if you know his salvation, if you put your trust in him. And so God delights in those who fear him and those who hope in his love. Our fear appreciates the greatness of his power and our hope shows we appreciate the wonder of his love, of his grace. And when we realise that we fully depend on him for his grace, for for our salvation, then that magnifies God. That gives him the glory that he deserves, that is due to him. And that is is how we come to communion, isn't it? Remember the words that we sometimes uh, use as we come to communion? We come saying, we come not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because any goodness of our own gives us the right to come, but because we need mercy and help. When we put our hope in God, we show that we know that we are the ones who need him. We are the ones who are thirsty. We are the ones who need to come to him to have our thirst quenched with the living water which helps to understand what it means when it says before that, his pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The point here is that strong horses and human legs are not bad. After all, God made them. He, he rejoices in them. It's when people put their hope in them that he's not pleased. Real Madrid valued the, the legs of their star striker, Cristiano Ronaldo, and uh, insured them for $90 million dollars which you might think is a lot until you hear that the star of Gillette's Legs of a Goddess campaign, Mariah Carey, insured hers for $1 billion. I don't think any of ours are worth that much, but um, it seems like both of them treasure the legs more than the one who gave them those valuable assets in the first place. And the reference of the horse here, I think it's probably referring in those days to um, how much countries relied on their military strength, their horses in battle, their cavalry. And certainly a strong cavalry would have given a side a huge advantage. But in battle, David, who was pursued by Saul with all of his army, he wrote in Psalm 20, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. People will put their trust in all sorts of things these days, won't they? We talked earlier on how countries put their trust in a nuclear deterrent. Countries will put their trust in their economic prosperity. Although there's not many of those who can do that these days, but um, normal people will put their trust in 
Maybe their good looks, their, their intellect, um, their bank balance. Maybe their personality, their, their wit. And these things are gifts from God, but when we put our hope in these things instead of in God, then he takes no pleasure in them. Because they're taking us away from him. The biggest problem for our world is summed up in Romans 1, where it says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things, rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Most people would rather live without God than without the things in which they put their, their trust, in which they find satisfaction. We looked last week at a psalm of trust. This week is a psalm of praise. But as you'll see, praise and trust are very much um, linked, aren't they? We praise God as we express our delight in him. But we also want God to delight in our praise. And what he delights in most is our fear of him and our hope in his unfailing love. To demonstrate hope in his unfailing love is to trust him. And so to trust is to praise to praise God in the way in which we live our lives. Well, as we come towards the end, we started by asking the question, why does God need our praise? And it's quite clear that he doesn't. But the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with salvation. And there is a circular process going on here, isn't there? The more that we see how much God delights in us, the more we should want to praise him. To delight in him for all that he's done for us and continues to do for us. And the more that we will will delight in him, the more we will put our hope in him, the more that we will trust him. And the more we do that, the more he will delight in us. Do you see how that works? As believers, there's a great relationship of, of mutual delight going on here between father and son. Um, in the same way, we, we see that in, in the Bible, the father and son relationship. That is the same relationship that we can have with our Father in heaven. As we said before, because of our fallible nature, we don't see, always see that. But one day we will experience that relationship in all its fullness. I would just uh, recommend a book. I did uh, mean to bring it with me. But um, it's a great book for sort of pursuing some of these issues called The Pleasures of God by John Piper, um, describes God as the happiest being in the universe, which, of course, he is. Talks all about all the things he finds pleasure in. And as we understand what he finds pleasure in, so we can know him better, so we can please him better, so we can praise him better with our lives.